be in uh, Hebrews 10. I'd like for you to join me there. It would mean more to you, I think, if you were looking at it in your own uh, Bible there. I'm glad that you're here. One thing I meant to mention, backtrack just for a second, we are going to have different places set up in the building next Sunday when we go to the one service at 10, some of our rooms where we'll be streaming the service. Um, So if you would rather do that, um, you will have that opportunity when you come to the one assembly next Sunday. I just um, forgot to mention that earlier. So some of our classrooms will be set up. We'll let you know more about about that this week, but just uh, keep that in mind if that's something that you'd like to take advantage of uh, next Sunday and the following weeks after that. So 1981 is a big year because Raiders of the Lost Ark came out that year. Do you guys remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? Am I the only one who remembers Raiders of the Lost Ark? Some of you have seen it, right? Okay, good. I was a kid when the movie came out. One of the best movies ever, Steven Spielberg, Story by George Lucas, young Harrison Ford was the renowned fictional character Indiana Jones. The movie was followed up a few years later by Temple of Doom and others that had, I don't know, 15, 20 sequels or something, had a bunch that started after that. But Raiders of the Lost Ark was the first one of the series, good movie. It was, uh, some of you haven't seen it, but it's a movie about, it's got a lot of stuff that's not true in it, obviously. It's a fictional movie, but it's got something that I want to point to to illustrate an important thing for this lesson this morning. And so Raiders of the Lost Ark, all right, the Ark, that's the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, the, the movie's about finding the Ark of the Covenant. It's back in the 1930s, I guess. The Nazis are trying to get the Ark of the Covenant because if they can get it in their possession, they think they'll be, uh, you know, they'll have unlimited power. They'll be able to conquer the world. And so uh, Indiana Jones is trying to keep him from getting it, trying to keep it away from them, and so hunting for the Ark of the Covenant. Basic, basic storyline. Now, there's an interesting thing about the movie that it, it, it kind of has this connotation that's pretty important, though a lot of the f- stuff is just way out left field, but it has at its core this thing about the Ark of the Covenant is something that has to be treated very, very carefully, and there's a scene where Indiana Jones and people who are with him, they've got to navigate, or he's got to navigate these, these traps in order to get to this area, you know, and if you don't act right, if you don't take the right step, step on the right stone, or duck at the right time, or whatever, you die, you know, that's <laughs> the way it goes. So he, of course, navigates them perfectly and gets through to the Ark of the Covenant. But there's this scene where just this like bright light and power kind of emanate from the Ark. Now, one of the things that I like about that portrayal of the Ark of the Covenant is this idea of this sense of otherness, this sense of, it's like distance. You've got to act in a certain way in order to get close to this. Biblically speaking, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament represented the presence of God. Now, that's a very important thing. And, and lots of stuff happens in the Old Testament that kind of reflects this idea of distance. Now, we're going to make our way to Hebrews 10, but for the first, I don't know, five minutes or so, I want to, I want to give you the background of, of what the writer's talking about. And it, and it relates to this idea of distance and separation and all of that, okay? So, Ark of the Covenant... Back up with me. We talked a little bit about this last Sunday, but in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned, separated from God, removed from the Garden of Eden, flaming swords, you know, the 
distance. He can't come into the garden. That represents where God is. Humanity has now become tainted, sinful, separate from God. Okay, So there's that distance. So that idea of distance is an important theme throughout the Old Testament and on into the New Testament. Separation between us and God. You remember in the book of Exodus when... Uh, when when they, uh, they, the Israelite people leave, they're rescued from Egypt, cross the Red Sea, go into the wilderness, and God says, okay, I want you to prepare yourselves because I'm going to descend at the top of this mountain, Mount Sinai. I'm going to descend. Now, everybody has to stay away from the mountain. You can't come close to the mountain. Uh, you can't let your animals touch the mountain. If you do, bad stuff's going to happen. You're going to die. You know, you can't come close to the mountain. So God descends in smoke and fire and thunder and this great this, this spectacle of God's descending there's this distance, you know, you got to stay away from, got to stay away, because you, you can't be close to that kind of holiness, you can't, can't be there. Even backtracking a little bit more, when God first appeared to Moses at that burning bush, he said, take your shoes off, you're standing on holy ground, there's this distance, you know. Also in Exodus, when God told them how to build the tabernacle, which was this ancient structure, had two major rooms, Outside, was called, outside room is called the holy place. Inside room is called the most holy place or the holy of holies. Big curtain separating the two rooms, the curtain or the veil. And inside that room, that inner sanctum, perfect cube shaped, every dimension the same, every length the same. Inside there was the Ark of the Covenant. And you had the mercy seat. You had these angelic, these golden angelic creatures that kind of like were hovering above the Ark. You had, uh, later on you would have Aaron's rod that, that miraculously budded. So it was a big deal. That room was contained these holy relics. And you did not get anywhere near that room. So the very, the very way the camp was set up with Israel, you had the tabernacle in the center. You had three tribes would camp on the south, three on the east, three on the north, three on the west. And, but the whole idea is there, right over there, that's where God dwells. We can't go there. Distance. Stay away. Once a year, this story is told in Leviticus 16. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, when he went through all of these special preparations with changing clothes, washing himself, making sure he's clean, the clothes are clean, there would be the shedding of blood. He would enter into the holy place carrying this blood. And then he would go, this, this language is, is just so symbolic. He would go inside the veil, inside the curtain. Just a huge deal, all right? So he would go in there and he would take the blood and he would sprinkle it. It's weird to us, but sprinkle it on the mercy seat. The idea being, he's already... He confesses the sin of the people, comes inside, sprinkles this blood. The idea is that it covers over what has been done by the people. There's this covering. That's what atonement means. So the day of covering or the day of atonement. Once a year, only that day, only the high priest, only when he's gone through all these preparations could he do that. And then it would come out. Very, very big deal. Now, I say all that because we didn't study it this morning, but Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10, leading up to our text this morning, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the Day of Atonement. It says, you know, the high priest had to go in there once a year, all this blood, all these sacrifices would be offered and all that. But 
We have something better than that. We got something better. That brings us to our text this morning. Look back at the text, all right? Hebrews 10, 19, uh, and look at just a couple verses here. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we've, con- we've got confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Do you see all that language in there? Therefore, brothers, since we've got confidence to enter the holy places, wait a second, we can't go to the holy place, right? Actually, we can go to the holy place because, again, we talked about this recently, but just so you remember, when Jesus died on the cross, when he was in the process of dying, the earthquake came, and you remember the veil of the temple was torn in two. What that was is it signified that Jesus, by his flesh, was opening up access to the holy place of God. Okay? One more, one more Old Testament example. Isaiah 6, when uh, Isaiah was transported in some sort of miraculous vision to the throne room of God, to the presence of God. You remember Isaiah's response in Isaiah 6? He said, uh, he said, Woe is me, for I am a person of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. In other words, I don't know what to do because I don't deserve to be in God's presence. That's Isaiah 6. Distance, separation. Don't get too close to God. Don't get too near to God. You can't be there because you are not worthy. But yet at the cross of Christ, when he died offering his blood as, as, as an offering on, on our behalf, his flesh tore that separating veil and opened access to the presence of God. And when the writer says that in verse 19, he says, we've confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, all that's background for three things that he says here. All right? And I want us to spend our time on those three things, the rest of our time. Just know, I hope you understand this. I hope if you're a Christian that you understand what happened at the cross is all that separation was abolished. It was broken down. The veil has been torn. The, the distance between us and God has been crossed by the blood of Christ, by the flesh of Jesus, by his body. And as a result of that, we can do these three things. And they are stated in three let us statements, starting in verse 22. So if you're there, you'll notice that this long expression, 19, 20, 21, the therefore statement, all of that to get us to verse 22 where he says, first of all, this is what we can do. We can, we can draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. You know, it... It would have been weird, be weird for us, to have worshipped under that system where you're separate from God, you cannot come close to God, you'll die, you know, all these regulations built into the system. We, uh, I think it's hard for us to understand this. It's, it's hard for me to try to communicate this probably because I don't understand it either because we've always had what we have now. We, we, these people that he was writing to, they had, they had not always had this. They were coming out of the system. And so in a sense, they were thinking about going back under it. And he's trying to get them to understand, look, you don't want to go back there. But, but notice what he says. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. 
Everything about the Old Testament was distance. Get out of the garden. Put on sandals. You, you don't really deserve to be here. Stay away from the mountain. Keep your distance. Stay away from the tabernacle. Keep your distance. You can't come into the throne room of God. Keep your distance. And yet here he says, because of what Jesus has done, God invites us to come closer. The beauty of that is, is remarkable. We, and I think there's a sense, not only a sense, I think there's a very real sense in which this chapter is talking about worship. He's talking about like what we're doing right now. You come, I come, we come together as his body, the body of Christ. We come into this assembly and we are drawing near. Remember, remember at the mountain of God in, in Exodus 19? Stay away. Don't get too close to the mountain. In Hebrews 10, God says, come closer. In the Old Testament, because of our sins separate us, it's stay, stay back. In the New Covenant, because of Christ, it's come closer. Come, come closer. You see, what happened in, um, in, this, in this new way of relating to God is God came to us. That's what John 1 is talking about when, um, when John, John describes it, those starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. It was in the beginning with God. All things were created by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then verse 14, so the Word was God. The Word, verse 14, the Word was made flesh, right? And He dwelled among us. He dwelled among us. Most translations put it like that. He dwelled among us, but you could very well translate that. It's the same word. It's a verb form of the word of the noun tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. You see that? So in the Old Testament, you got the tabernacle, but you can't come into the tabernacle. You got to you got to keep your distance away from the tabernacle. But in the New Testament, we see that the tabernacle came in the middle of us in a person, not a building, but a person. And so the tabernacle. God with us, Emmanuel, came to us. God, his hands dirty, touched us, held babies in his lap, cried. He would sweat. He would get tired. God, in human form, in the flesh, tabernacled in our mess, right in the middle of us all, right? And we, John, John puts it like this in 1 John 1. Our eyes have seen Him. We have beheld Him. We have touched Him. And our hands have handled Him. Come closer. You see, God is now with us. There's not the distance. There's not the separation. Let us draw near to Him, He says. Let us draw near to Him. Uh, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean. Probably that's an echo of the Old Testament when the priest, high priest would go into the holy place, he would take the blood and he would sprinkle it. So our hearts have been sprinkled. And then he says, he says, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Maybe that's a reference to the, uh, when the priest would go into the tabernacle or to the temple, there was a, a big laver outside and they would wash before they went in. And maybe that's an echo or a, a kind of a, a shadow of Christian baptism in that before you enter into the presence of God, you are washed. 
you experience baptism as you enter into the holy place. You know, there's this kind of these things, these kind of themes that tie together. It's a pretty neat thing. But main point being this. I hope you feel the presence of God. And I hope that we as a church know that when we come here, not only here, but certainly now and here, we come into this assembly to draw near to Him. He is here with us. I know God is om- He's omnipresent, but there are some certain places where God is especially present. And when we come together as His people to worship Him, it's a big deal. This is not to be taken lightly. You know, worship isn't just something that we, you know, just kind of half-heartedly enter in. Well, we truly understand that we come into this room, we come into this place to worship Him. We're getting ready in just a couple minutes. We're getting ready to sit down at the table with Him. We're getting ready to gather around that table, and Jesus is going to sit there with us, and He's going to, he's going to commune with us. We're going, to, we're going to partake of the bread and the wine, and we're going to sit there with Jesus, and we are, we are going to commune with Him. It's a beautiful thing. We are drawing near. See, he sat down at that table on that Thursday night with the, with the apostles, and he, and he ate that meal with them. And he said, I'm not going to do this again until I do it with you in the kingdom. Well, he's doing it every week with us. We get to do this every week. We come, we come into his presence. We draw near to him with full assurance of faith. Now, I don't want to act as if this is the only time it happens. Because that's one, another beautiful aspect of our relationship to God now is, is that you know, we worship him now, but I hope, man, I hope that there will be multiple times this week, maybe multiple times every day this week where, you know, you, you have a moment, depending on your stage of life, you know, kids or no kids or, you know, married, not married, whatever, but you find those moments, those quiet moments. Maybe it's an early in the morning before the sun comes up when you've got the quietness of the house and you can, you can go into the living room or, or wherever your, your closet is and you can just take a moment and you can draw near to him. Talk to him. Spend some time with him. Or maybe your, your time is in, in the middle of the afternoon, you've got a moment, or, or maybe it's 10 or 11 o'clock at night. But you can draw near to him in full assurance because the curtain has been torn. And you can go into the holy place, the most holy place. You can come into the throne room of God. See, the movie, the movie paints this idea of, uh, uh, you know, this idea of, uh, of, of again, of distance. Of, you've got to be scared of the presence of God. And yet... Because of Christ, Hebrews 4.16 says this more clearly, because of Christ, we come near to Him, we approach Him with confidence. You don't cower down. You don't have to watch for the traps. You don't, you don't have to worry that, man, if you don't get this step right or that step right, then I'm, then I'm going to be cut down. No, because of Christ, you can approach Him with full assurance of faith that you come into His presence and God is pleased to have you there. Pretty cool thing. Draw near. Here's the second thing. Let us, all right, let us, verse 23, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession, this is 23, of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, background about what's going on here in Hebrews, uh, some of these folks, many of these folks, they were Jewish Christians, and so they were being tempted to go back under the, the system of sacrifices, the system of 
of, of killing of animals and burning of incense and this distance, this separation from God. They were, they were safety there in the sense that they would escape persecution that was starting for Christians. To avoid persecution, some of them were thinking, well, it would be better if we just went back to our roots, you know, to our, to our religious roots, and we would be safe there. And this letter is written in part, at least, to encourage these folks, don't do that. Don't go back to a system that can't save you. You know, you've got these sacrifices offered, but they can't actually forgive sin. And so he's saying to them, let us hold fast a confession of our hope. Now, most of us aren't being tempted to go back into the Jewish faith to the system of sacrifices and earning and law-keeping. But, but I think we are being tempted. I think there's certainly is happening in, in, in Christian groups today that, that many of us, maybe you felt this pressure, this temptation to walk away from Christ, to maybe to be free from certain restrictions or certain pressures. I, I don't know, but I know there's temptation. I see it happening in us. I, Maybe we feel it happening in us, that a temptation to, to get some distance between us and the faith again. And the writer here is saying, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he is faithful. Don't let this slip. And this year, perhaps, in 2020, it has it's been a difficult year for every institution. It's been a difficult year for the world in so many different ways. It's certainly been a difficult year for churches. It's been a difficult year for Christians because I think, I think there's a sense in which, at least I think I'm right on this, that some Christians have, have maybe allowed their relationship to Christ to, to slip a little bit, whatever the cause we've, as churches, because of what we've been through this year and, and um, the, the assembly's been affected and, and mask and distance, social distance and all that. And by the way, you know, I think these have been necessary precautions for churches to make. But having said that, there are repercussions that we need to be aware of so that we don't ourselves fall into this kind of spiritual apathy. So I think what maybe there's a sense in which, and I don't know if you're there or not, listening online if you're, if you're at this place or not, but maybe we ought at least to ask the question, has this year caused me, you, to slip a little bit? For my relationship with one another in the body to, to, to be a little bit more distant. And maybe our relationship with, with God has, has slipped a little bit because they haven't had the, the constant, you know, the assembly uh, Sunday, Wednesday, these constant reminders. Maybe we've had that distance, you know, that started to creep into our relationship with God. I think there may be a sense in which these words particularly apply to us now. Let us hold fast. And I guess my word of encouragement to the church at this particular moment would be, maybe we can start to see the light at the end of the tunnel with coronavirus, you know. It's affected so many families. It's affected so many people. It's affected churches. But maybe, maybe we can we can see a little bit of the light and we can have some hope that some of these restrictions that are in place now and will be in place for at least the next few months probably will be lifted at some point. But let's don't let go now, you know. Don't let that relationship slip now. Let's hold fast now. Let's draw near to Him now. 
and not let the distance creep into our relationship with God and with one another. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. I think the NIV, the NIV puts it unswervingly. I like that. ESV says, without wavering. Uh, don't quit. Don't give up. Last one, and this one relates as well. It's in verse 24, verse 24, verse 25. Let us, there's the third one. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the third one is let us consider. Let us consider. This is another one I think that's particularly relevant at this moment. You know, back, um, I think it was March the 16th was the time when we, in our congregation, that was a Sunday morning, we had the abbreviated service and stopped meeting here on site for two and a half months or so until the 1st of June. And then since then, of course, as you know, and we'll continue probably for the next few months or whatever, um, we've had services, but they've been mitigated. There's distance here. We're encouraged to socially distance. We're encouraged and are encouraging you all to wear masks and, and all of that. And, and I think those are necessary precautions in view of what the world is going through now, you know. But at the same time, it's created a unique situation for us as churches, hasn't it? It's, it's created a, a kind of a difficult environment because there's, of necessity, there's been distance, right? And that physical distance can, re, can result sometimes in relational distance. And, and I think, you know, beneath the surface here in verses 24 and 25, of course he's talking to people who they weren't in the middle of a pandemic. They were, their faith was causing them to step away from the regular gatherings. Maybe they were going back to some of, the, some of their previous faiths, religion, religious assemblies, and neglecting the Christian assemblies or whatever. Uh, but the underlying principle here would be this, man. There are spiritual consequences when the regular assembly, when you're not there. I think we need to understand that, right? There are, there are I, man, I, I felt this. I, I don't know if you did or not, but I, I felt it. I felt it this year. I felt uh, just like something isn't exactly what it ought to be. You know, there's this, just something missing, something missing at the human contact, shaking hands, putting our arms around one another's shoulders, you know, the, the just being together and, and this, uh, what we've experienced the last few months has been hard for churches. And I think the reason is, is what he's talking about here. Though, again, he's not talking about a pandemic, but he is saying, man, we need to stir one another up to love and to good works. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I just want to encourage us as a church taking what he's saying here given the situation we're in we can't change it all right we can't change it but given where we are this particular moment how do we obey this how do we obey this may I ask you to consider this for yourself how do you consider how you can stir up other people in our fellowship to love and good works how do you do that if you're worshiping with us online, we're glad you're worshiping with us online. How do you do this? How do you do it when we're wearing masks? How do you do it when we socially distance? How do you do it when we're dealing with the effects of what's going on? How do we do this? I think we, practically we've got to ask those questions, and we can do it. And for the last six, eight months, you guys have been doing it through cards and through phone calls and texts and emails in various ways. And 
but it's just to keep that spirit going and even to heighten that as we, as we, let's not relax now, you know. Let's keep going. Let's keep our spirit of fellowship and unity going. And let's press on. Let's hold fast. Let's draw near. Let's consider how we can encourage one another to love and good works. And for us practically as a body, for you individually to ask this, what can I do? Not depending on someone else to do this. But what can I do myself right now, given the limitations, given whatever, to encourage somebody else this week in her walk with Christ? What can you do to stir up somebody else in the fellowship to love, to good works? What can you do individually to encourage another member of the body of Christ? What can we do as a church to be a blessing to our world right now? Let us, in view of the fact that God has invited us into the holy of holies, what do we do? We draw near. We hold fast without wavering. And we encourage one another often in our walk. You and I need this. If we've ever needed it, we need it now. We need it now. We need encouragement. We need unity. We need fellowship. We need to build one another up. It seems to me that is the implication of this atonement idea. So, last few weeks, we've talked about a lot of theological big words. Propitiation. Redemption. Today, it's atonement. And that's good. I like that. I think we need that. I think our, our thoughts, our intellect shape who we are. But we also need to think, okay, practically speaking, here's what we do. We encourage one another to love and good works because God has invited us to be in His family. So I guess my parting, my parting word for this lesson is spend some time with the Lord on this, if you would, and just ask Him to help you to see what, how, can he, how, how might He use you in the coming week the coming months, to be a blessing to other people in our, in our church family. That's what he's talking about, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let's do that. Let's do it as a church. Let's do it individually. Now let's press on, hold fast, draw near, and let us consider how we can encourage one another to love and to good works. If you're not a Christian today, you know, I've been talking about Christian stuff, these Christian ideas, Christian themes, but I hope this message comes through to you if you're not, a, if you're not yet a Christian beauty of this is God has invited you. Jesus Christ has invited you to come closer. Come closer. He's invited you to come, come to Him. He will forgive everything. You come closer to Him. Accept the gift of salvation as you're baptized into Him for the forgiveness of all of your sins and receive God's Spirit to live within you. Uh, we would be thrilled to be able to help you in your obedience to Christ. Maybe you need to, you've done that, but you need to come back to Him today. You need to come home to Him today. We so thrilled we could pray for you today as well. Let's stand and sing. If you need to come, uh, please do that now.